Hello and welcome to episode 15 of Culture Bucket. Today we're talking directors. Top five directors is the topic of today. I am your host, George, and with me is your other host, your, your, your I was going to say second host, but no, equal first host, <laughs> Alex. Hello, Alex. Hi, George. How are you? Hi. I'm good. I'm good. <laughs> I'm blued. <laughs> I'm good. I'm so blued. I'm I'm good. Good. How are you? I'm great. Yes. Yeah. Directors today, but first we'll do our culture catch up and then we'll talk about our homework. This is culture catch up time. This is where we talk about what we've watched, what we've read, what we've listened to, and probably some other stuff. Alex, yes. do you want to start? What have you got to talk about today? Okay, so um my homework was to watch Thor. Ragmarok. It's not time for homework, Alex. I know. Will you let me? You have no patience, George. You have no patience. <laughs> Will you let me tell my story, or mm. shall I? Just? All right, go on. Okay. No, no, you tell your so story. So my homework was to watch Thor. What's it called? Rag Ragmarok. Rag Ragmarok. Ragnarok. Ragnarok. So my homework yes. was to watch Thor Ragnarok, and after yes. watching Thor Ragnarok, I thought, well, I'm on Disney Plus anyway. Let's catch up on the Marvel Universe. So, okay. I started with... I'm for, I don't know why I started with Captain Marvel. I should have started with Infinity War. But um, I realized that I watched until um, Avengers Civil War. No, no. No, right. no. It's called Cap- Captain America Civil War is the correct title of that film. Oh, goodness. It's too much. So the last one I watched was... Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. So I thought, okay, I watched Thor Ragnarok, so I'll carry on. Um, I wanted to watch Spider-Man Homecoming, but I have to pay for it. Uh, I have everything. Mm, I've, got, I've got Sky. I've got Netflix. I've got um, Amazon Prime, uh, Disney Plus, and I have to pay for Spider-Man Homecoming. I'm not a big fan of Spider-Man, so I've decided to not watch Spider-Man. Uh, so oh, it's, I... It's pretty good. Michael Keaton's fantastic in it. Is but, it? You know. Okay. Well, I watched Captain Marvel first. Okay. And what did you think of Captain Marvel? I thought Captain Marvel was excellent. Okay. I love Brie Lawson. Yes. I think she's amazing. She's an amazing actress. Uh, I, I love her. And um, I think Captain Marvel is excellent. Oh, you've got... A, what is that? Is that... It's a pillow. Oh, I sleep on it every night. You sleep? Is that your pillow? Yeah, it's my pillow. You have a Captain Marvel pillow that you sleep. I've got a... Oh. <laughs> I love Captain Marvel. Wow. Well, yeah, so Captain yeah. Marvel... Uh, stars uh, Brie Larson, Samuel L. Jackson, uh, Jude Law, Annette Benning, and then while I, while I was watching it because it's got such amazing cameos from everyone, I thought, mm. did we put Annette Benning as one of the best actresses? 
I don't know. How about Brie Lawson? <laughs> How about Gemma Chan? I'm oh that last week. I don't. I think we forgot so many mm. people because uh, yeah, Samuel L. Jackson. But, you know, Samuel L. Jackson. He's excellent here. Well, uh, so <laughs> um, he is, but he, I, I don't know. I feel slightly with him. I've seen. I don't know. I'm not. I wouldn't have put him on my list personally. Well, no, but not on the list, but on at least honorable mention. Yeah, yeah. He's he's cool. He's in a lot of. He's in so much though now. Yeah. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, no, he's great. I love Samuel Jackson. No, no uh, offense meant to Samuel Jackson. Yeah. So, uh, well, the plot, the story is this: the Cree people uh, are fighting um, the scroll. The scrolls, fantastic, which are. Uh, shapeshifters. So from the beginning, yes, uh, they're trying to fight these people, and um, Brie Larson, Lawson, which is Veers, uh, is training for it with Jude Law, which I do not remember the name, and is training to save the universe from the scrolls. And that's the story, basically. And then blah 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 blah, things happen. Uh, but it's basically the beginning of Shield, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, like yeah. the start of Shield. Or- it's not so much the start of Shield because I think they already exist, but like the start of the start of them encountering superhumans. I think yes, fantastic. And and the start of the Avengers initiative. Mm. I don't want to say too much because I feel like it's so like I like the twists in it. There's quite a few twisties, isn't there? Although tw- yeah, 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 yeah. There was a really cool twist in it that I really liked. I loved it a lot. I loved it so. Yeah, and yeah. um, yeah. I, I thought it was really, really, really good, and um, I really enjoyed it. And time flew because sometimes with, with Marvel films, when you watch them by yourself, you go, "Oh well, I was finished. I might check Instagram." But no, this was really, really yeah. good, and I thought was amazing. I that's awesome. I like the bit where. He's scared of cats. Oh, ben Mendelssohn's oh, character. That's I don't the remember best his name. thing. <laughs> and it's they so think he's a cat. That he's scared of a cat. <laughs> yeah. And uh, yeah, and they don't call him a cat. What do they call him? Uh? I can't remember what it, he, he is now. Is he called Jonesy? Is he called Jonesy? I don't know. No, no, no. It's called something different. Um, what's uh, is from Top Gun? Oh, it's called, is it called Goose? Yeah, Goose. Goose, yeah. it is called Goose, yeah, yeah, yeah. Flurkin, he's a flurkin. It's a flurkin, yeah, it's a flurkin. <laughs> and I just, I just, I just loved it. I just thought it was really good, really clever, entertaining, good music. Brie Lawson just does things oh, the... so well. She's such an amazing actress. Uh, like, the thing that she was an alien, she made it so natural. It wasn't like, she just did things yeah. really naturally. And it was beautiful yeah, she's, to watch she's good she's amazing she's great yeah i love the bit where jude law's like you know defeat me without your powers prove to me that you can do it and she's like i don't need to prove anything to oh, anyone and, oh, it's just great so good the coolest the coolest yeah. um yeah no great that's cool so what did you watch next then next i watched um the next one i watched was uh infinity war Okay, uh, big film. Which is, uh, what's it called all together? Is Avengers Infinity War, yeah? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Avengers Infinity War. And uh, the clue is in the title, Infinity. <laughs> 
that film uh, never yeah, it's a ends. Long film. It never yeah, ends. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it it what well, I enjoyed the fact that everybody from the Marvel universe pops in. I thought that was brilliant. Everybody here. Everybody here. And I yeah. I you know the Gu- Guardians of the Galaxy when they meet Thor just beautiful because they get to know each other and like for some mm-hmm. because it's the Avengers and is the Marvel yeah. Universe and you kind of assume that yeah. they know all know each other, but they don't. Yeah, yeah, they don't at all. So it's really cool. Like with Doctor Strange and Iron Man yeah. meeting each other and all yeah. that. Yeah, oh, that, that was beautiful. Really, really good. Uh, there's some good <laughs> comedy. There's some uh, good... Uh, <clears throat> what I've noticed though this time in this one, there's a lot of stupid mistakes made, but I don't know if then it sets up for the next one, which I haven't watched which is um, Endgame. Ooh. So I'm not sure if all Endgame the stupid is... things they do in Infinity War then are... Can, can you give me an example of a stupid thing? Like, for example, that shield, when they're in Wakanda and there's they put the shield and the dogs are going to... Um, the, the alien dogs are trying to get in Wakanda and then this amazing <laughs> shield. Yeah. <coughs> there was no reason for them to open the shield because the amount of dogs, alien dogs that were going through was so limited that, you know, you just sent some everybody around the perimeter and you shoot the alien dogs. But no, oh, they're going around. Let's open the shield. And so all these alien dogs come in. Well, I guess I guess the idea was that, like the alien dogs would surround it, but then stronger forces might arrive as well. And at that point, if they break it down, they'll be overwhelmed. I guess. I guess, but I can see I I can see why you think it's stupid, but I can also see an argument as to why it's like a legitimate battle tactic yeah. or whatever. Yeah, in a way. But what I enjoyed, and that's what we talk what talked about, and when we talked about Black Panther a few weeks ago, it's just the um, the the villain thinking that he's doing the correct thing, and here right. Thanos mm. is definitely making you kind of think about that because he's saying well there are too many people and i'm trying to save human save humanity or help humanity by decimating the universe the universe by decimating people and in a way he's right but in a way he's killing loads of people so you go ah like i kind of felt a little bit a little bit on his side but a little bit not thanos is an awesome villain and it's infinity war is like his film he's the main character of that movie really yeah yeah Absolutely. And Josh Brolin's performance is is fantastic. Yeah, it's so good. And you see that he's got feelings and he's not just doing things for no reason. And uh, the love that he has for his daughter. And yeah, I I thought it was... But it's it's long. It's really, really long. And a long film about about a big purple testicle with emotions. It is. He is a big purple. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. You're right. He's a big purple testicle. Oh yeah. He's good though. I like him. I like that big purple. Yeah, testicle and there's really. But I thought everybody was really really good. I think. I don't know. The Marvel universe just brings the best out of people. I really I really like it. And then. <clears throat> so that was good, but just a little bit too long, in my in my opinion. But I guess, and then I was thinking, which is fair, totally fair criticism. Yeah, I was thinking maybe they could have done two films of that, and then two films <sighs> of Endgame. Yeah, but let me tell you, Endgame is awesome. Okay, that's I'm gonna watch I, it. Uh, yeah. Then I watch Ant Man and Wasp, which is uh, the second helping of Ant Man. 
I absolutely loved Ant-Man, the film Ant-Man. I thought it was great. Um, This one, uh, it's, um, we're away from the Infinity War and uh, I think it's happening, but they're doing something else. And it's, the story is they're trying to find um, Wasp's mother, who is Hope, uh, Hope's one of the characters, Hope. Hope Van Dyne. Hope Van Dyne, who's also Wasp, as mother, who has been lost for 30 years um, somewhere in the... In the, what do they call it? <laughs> the, the the small place, in the, the small tiny place. place. Yeah. Um, this really felt like a, a bumper episode. Bumper episode, is that what it's called? A bumper film? Like, just kind of like put there to you know, give time for the end game to arrive. I don't know. Yeah, I can kind of see that. Like, it, it, um, it's, I, I liked it, but after watching Infinity War and Captain Marvel, it kind of felt really, I don't know. I felt like I wasn't interested, a, really, in if they found a mother or not, which is kind of a shame. I got a little bit bored watching and, Ant-Man and Wasp. And because I, maybe because I really enjoyed Ant-Man, I think Ant-Man was one of my favorites. This one just felt a bit flat to me. Yeah. But Ant-Man has quite a small story as well. What do you mean? Like I think that well in terms of like when they make Ant-Man movies I think their ethos is to not have them be big huge films with plots about the end of the world and stuff. They want mm. them to always be about something quite small. Okay. And personal like mm. a personal story. It is an oddly placed film in terms of it coming just yeah. after Infinity War. Yeah, and you kind of you want Endgame to happen. Yeah, and that's and that's uh, how I felt. It's just like, oh, I have to, I want to watch this because I love Ant Man, and I'm trying to do them in chronological order. And yeah. yeah, this story was good and introduced like a new character, and um, Lawrence Fishburne is in it, and it's, anything with Lawrence Fishburne is good. And there's some good comedy, and there's some good feel good moments. Um, I love when he makes that maze for his daughter at the beginning of the film. Oh yeah, which is yeah, really yeah. lovely, and but but yeah. I felt I felt like it, it was just a little bit meh, but you know I feel like if you give it another go one day with less sort of expectation around it, you might enjoy it more. Hmm. It's it's a very it's a it's quite a small film and it doesn't do anything new. It is sort of retreading the same ground as the first film, but it's got some fun performances. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I I enjoyed it. I I really enjoyed it. But I think after, so I watched Thor Ragnarok, uh, Captain Marvel, yeah. uh, in um, Avengers Infinity War, and then I watched Ant Man. And I think uh, it was just like yeah. it was like boom, 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 boom. It's like and then it was just Ant Man, Ant Man. Yeah, Wasp. that's I can see that for sure. So I was a bit. So maybe I just I just went in overdrive. But I realized after finishing Thor Ragnarok and I'm going to get emotional here George that I've been waiting like I'm waiting for you to see you to watch Marvel films and usually we spend <laughs> New Year's together and this year we're not going to spend New Year's together so I thought well I'm not going to wait yeah. for George so yeah I watched him because if not it's going to be 2025 what? before I can watch Avengers yeah. I'm glad you watched them though because they are fun yeah they are no okay Did, is that all the Marvel you watched yeah that's all the Marvel watch I wanted to watch um, Endgame but um, I've been dreaming Marvel for the past few days so I, I and also it's three hours and 30 minutes and i didn't have the time <laughs> but 
but if he yeah, says good, totally I'm going to watch it this week. And then um, I my the fourth movie I watched this week, uh, uh, and it's not uh, in the Marvel universe, is um, the new Borat film, which is called ah. which is called Borat subsequent movie film. Very nice. Very nice. Oh, I'm excited. I also watched Borat, oh. subsequent movie film. Oh, very excited. Shall we very talk excite. about it? Mm. Yeah, let's talk about it. Yeah. So this you was start. my first Borat movie. I have never watched a Borat movie before, um, which was okay. well, the last one, only one. Um, yeah, there was only one other one. Yeah, but yeah, I haven't watched the other one. Um, just because but, I think yeah. Sasha Baron Cohen is an extremely intelligent uh, human being and he does things in a really clever way but also he's one of those people that does pushes boundaries and pushes a lot and is very cringy isn't he so I've watched clips yeah. from the first Borat and I was just like no don't do that and so I, I thought well I, I don't want to watch it but this one came out and you know it came out at a at a particular uh, strategic time and for a reason. So I thought, I'll give, I'll give this a go. And uh, I did. And I watched an entire Borat <laughs> film. I only had my eyes closed well a couple done. of times. <laughs> That's a big, big step. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Thank you. It's just because it's Good so job. cringy because he talks to real people and the real people are really... No, Bad. I know from trying to get you to watch stuff like Nathan for you and Impractical Jokers that you struggle with that. So, I really um, struggle yeah. because, like, <laughs> these humans are weird. <laughs> uh, but yeah, um, as my first Borat film, I thought it was it, it was pretty good. He managed to find some yeah. pretty interesting people and do some pretty yeah, interesting stunts. Yeah, and I was amazed by the ending. <laughs> when you say the ending, what do you mean? With Rudy Giuliani. Oh yeah, I mean that is. He was just tucking in his shirt. Oh, oh, all right, all right. Yeah, he was tucking, just tucking in his shirt in the bedroom. Just tucking in his like, shirt. Like if a person asks you to go for an interview in the bedroom, you as a person who is married, who is a goddess of certain position, you say, if you don't want to, you say, oh. No, thank you. Let's carry on in this room with the cameras. So why did it go in no, the bedroom? He, he can only tuck his shirt in when he's lying on a bed. That's the thing. Oh, and ask for her address <laughs> and her phone number. Oh, oh I was that, I was that, amazed that, a... that that hasn't had more, just more con con controversy. Like he's lying on a bed. It's had a fair amount, but not, yeah, you'd think more. But nowadays people just do anything and seem to get away with it. So Absolutely. what do you think of the rest of the film? Okay, I think, well, Sasha Baron Cohen has got balls of steel. And yeah. the woman who plays his daughter... Um, Tuta. Tuta, uh, played by Maria Bakalova, a Bulgarian actress. She has got balls of steel too. She was amazing. 
especially as he's been doing this for years. Yeah. She's just an actress yeah. that they that they found. She yeah. really. So what? Ha, if for people that haven't seen it, what's like the br- a brief plot summary of what like what sets up Borat two? So um, from what I understood, in Borat one, he got in trouble and went to prison, and uh, he has to um, to not be executed. <laughs> To not be executed, mm-hmm. he needs to uh, send a present uh, to. Uh, he needs to give a present to Michael Pence, uh, and mm. the present is a monkey. Um, yeah. But uh, unfortunately, something happens to the monkey, and so uh, Borat has the great idea to give as a present his uh, daughter to Michael Pence, who he views as to be on the same level as a monkey. Yeah. And he goes around uh, the States and meets people and uh, buys things from pet stores. Like, what amazes me is that people don't question him. Yeah. Like, there's a scene where like, he asks to buy a cage for his daughter. And the person should yeah. go, I'm not going to sell a cage to put your daughter inside. But no, this guy just sells him a cage. Like, yeah. is that a spoiler? Yeah. No, 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 okay. that's not, don't worry, I wouldn't worry about that. It's an interesting thing because I feel like what, sometimes what you have to think about is what have they told the person that they are participating in? Do you know what I mean? Because they, they definitely they definitely think carefully about what they tell the subject yeah. the documentary is about yeah. to then try and elicit the reactions they want. Mm. So, I, I mean, I think, you know, that guy shouldn't have agreed to sell the cage <laughs> to put his daughter in. Yeah. But I think not so much set up. They're not set up, but they, they are kind of quite cleverly pushed in the direction that Sasha Baron Cohen wants yeah. him to go in, if you see what I mean. Yeah. Um, and, for example, I think the, you know the scene where he goes to the debutante ball and they do that <laughs> that dance? <laughs> yeah. That was, a, that was a staged scene. Was it? Yeah, the production staged that ball and paid the other people to attend it. But So their they... looks of shock are real. Yeah, because they didn't they... know what was going to happen. Yeah, but they were there because the production had made the ball and stuff for them. He hadn't crashed somebody else's debutante ball. Ah, uh, yeah, I mean. yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. So it's it's just interesting sometimes thinking about the behind the scenes nature of like what is actually being told to these people and stuff like that. But it is still wild. I mean, you know the the people he he stays with at the end of the film, uh, briefly. Yeah. When lockdown has yeah. started, he genuinely in character had to stay with them for five days as as Borat without breaking character. No. Yeah, he said it was one of the. I think he said it was one of the hardest things he's ever had to do. Five days. Oh, Five wow. days playing Borat and not being able to leave his character for a second. That is insane. Mm. He's such a he's such a clever man, though. Like yeah. he manages to make people do whatever he wants, really. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, he does. Did you? Did what? He's a clever guy. What did you think about the film? Because you've you, you must have um, seen the first one as well. Well, the first Borat came out when I was eighteen, so I saw it in the cinema and loved it, yeah. and thought it was the funniest thing ever, and had the poster for it on my wall <laughs> at uni, etc. Um, Amazing. Did you? Were you one of those people that yeah. were like excited, very nice? No, see, well, that was. I very quickly got quite bored of okay. that, of people saying, oh, my, my wife, very nice. So, um, I kind of, I kind of, about a decade ago, decided that I was bored of Borat. So, when they announced suddenly, about a month ago, it came out that there was a sequel that had been made, I was kind of rolled my eyes and was really not in the mood for it at all. Mm. 
but then it started coming out that Rudy Giuliani was in, was kind of pranked in it and Mike Pence as well and stuff like that and it was about the the lockdown and the, it was kind of very intentionally coming out before the election I was like oh well maybe he's got something to say yeah so it came out and I watched it and yeah I I also really enjoyed it I think that uh, Maria Bakalova Tutar is the is the best thing in it she is so so funny she's amazing um, yeah and like you said just so brave to yeah. be um out going out there doing all you know what she does so yeah no I really really enjoyed it um I don't think it's as funny as the first one mm. I think the first one is like more of a just straight comedy like very very funny prank film this one has seems like it's got more of like a, something it wants to say a message yeah but it's still it is still funny um yeah the acting's the acting is good in it the people he manages to kind of trick are quite interesting yeah. so yeah I, I liked it. I liked Borat's subsequent movie film. Yeah, it was good. Oh. I'm I'm glad I watched it. And I think I'm going to watch the first one now. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Are you going to watch... I would I would recommend not watching Bruno, though. Okay. No. I, is, it, I didn't, is it really I didn't bad? Really... Yeah, I don't know. It's, it was just... I don't know. It was... I, I remember watching it and maybe, maybe, it's, maybe it's like a... I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I remember not really enjoying it. Okay. Um, as much as but it didn't feel like the character was as intra I don't know mm. maybe I should watch Bruno again but I remember when it came out I went to see it really excited because I love Bar I love Barat we were but <laughs> did you like uh, Ali Bruno G didn't do it for me no I didn't I've never watched I've never really watched any Ali G I know the Ali G film isn't a prank film it's like a it's like a fictional acted film yeah. with a story yeah I've never seen that because it's meant to be really bad mm. Um, and I think the clips I've seen of the Ali G show stuff is is looks funny, but I never wa- I never watched it. I think okay. I was just slightly too young when it was on. Yeah, maybe. and I've never gone back to it. But the Borat movies are, you know, I I think I think they're funny. And uh, oh, an interest. Do you know? So when he's talking to his daughter in Borat's subsequent movie film, mm. and he they're talking, it's subtitled. Yeah, because they're not speaking English. She, because Marie Bakalova is Bulgarian, she's speaking Bulgarian, and then Sasha Baron Cohen is speaking in, I think, Hebrew <laughs> in return. And it's it's wow. quite similar to, in the original, Borat speaks uh, Hebrew to his manager, who's like the kind of character that he's got with him in the first one. And his the actor playing his manager is, I think, Armenian and speaks Armenian back. And again, it's okay. kind of... amazing. <laughs> Trying to, like, if we're thinking of, like, Sasha Baron Cohen's intentions with the character, it's sort of to poke fun at how America views foreigners rather than to poke fun at foreigners. Mm. And it's part of the idea of, like, they're speaking different foreign languages, but nobody notices. Yeah. Because it's it's either English or not English, essentially. Um, so, yeah, now, like you said at the start, he's a, he's a clever man. Yeah. And she's amazing. So, yeah. They're both amazing. Yeah, Maria Bakalova, really... I hope we see much more. Yeah. From her, yeah, definitely. She's he. Sasha Baron Cohen has been out this week saying that he wants her to get Oscar nominated and stuff, and I, I don't know if that will. I don't know. Maybe I. I think she deserves it. It would be yeah. like I guess when Melissa McCarthy got an, an Oscar an Oscar nomination for Bridesmaids, they they occasionally will give like comedies or Did genre she? movies acting notes. Melissa McCarthy for Bridesmaids. No. Yeah, I, I don't think she won. No, but she got a nomination. Wow, because she is good in Bridesmaids. But I didn't yeah, yeah, yeah. Like occasionally somebody will come out and do like um, Johnny Depp for the first part of the Caribbean film got a an Oscar nomination for Jack Sparrow. <laughs> it's insane. Anyway, let's not let's not get into any time at all talking about Johnny Depp. Have you watched anything else? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, 
<laughs> no, no. That was my culture catch up because, yeah, the Marvel Universe took most of my week. That's fair. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. Well, we'll talk about a bit more of it in a minute, which I'm excited yeah. to do. Cool. What about you? What, what have you been up to? Well, it's only been a few days since we last recorded. Indeed. But I have played much more Hades, which I spoke about briefly the other day. Yeah. If you remember. Mm-hmm. And... I think what I for, all all I want to say is I forgot to mention the other day because you were getting quite skeptical of the idea that you have to redo it over and over again. Well, it's not skeptical. Yeah. It just for my no, brain, you're... I know that I would get so frustrated. But if you're a game player, if you're a gamer, of course it's going to be fun. But it's just me. Yeah. I wish that I had that kind of patience. Yeah. No. Which is totally fair. But I just want to say I've re- I've realised what I didn't really mention is that because. You can choose from six different weapons and that totally changes how the game plays Ah. and it randomises so much stuff. Every time you redo it, it does feel like a totally different game and it's just the core gameplay loop of going into a room and all these enemies appearing and you having to defeat them is so satisfying because it feels so good to play that Mm. it is great. I nearly completed it yesterday. I got really, really close and I got killed by by the final boss. And and once you defeat the final boss, you carry on going over it. (laughs) You still keep... (laughs) repeating it i don't know i don't know why i don't know what the story reason is but i'm sure there will be one but like yeah it's not just about getting out once it's about doing it over and over again so i've but almost done my first run every time you finish then like every time you play is it like a new play so is it but all the characters remember that you've played but remember all your you, previous attempts like is it like a, yeah. a different do you play in a different way yeah totally because i you the weapon you choose has an effect, but then even within that, there's so many changes. Like, for example, my favourite weapon is this spear you can get, and with the spear you can do, like, a jab, mm. or you can throw the spear at an enemy and then call it back to you a bit like um, a bit like uh, Thor with his hammer, if you okay. see what I mean. Yeah. But you can get an upgrade, and the upgrades are random and there's loads of them. You can get an upgrade where instead of throwing it and it coming back to you, you just throw it and then a new one appears in your hand, so it turns mm. it from, like, a back and forth to just a constant thing you can keep chucking out. And just that little change completely changes up all of your strategy, the way you approach different enemies and stuff like that. And it just, it just, and that's just the same weapon. Like outside of that, there's a gun you can get. There's um like gloves to do like a punching fist run. There's a sword. There's a shield. Like it's it's a cool, it's a really cool game. Um, so I, I just wanted to mention again that I, mm. I I love that game. It's amazing. Other than that, um, I've been listening to a, a band, Bring Me the Horizon. Have you ever listened to Bring Me the Horizon? No, I haven't. They're a metal band. Do you know of them? No. Okay. They're a metal band from Sheffield in the UK, and they started off as like a hardcore band with the vocals being really screamy, Mm. uh, which I wasn't too into. And then as the years went on, they became a bit more mainstream. And they always drop weird video game references into their song titles and stuff, which always makes me go, I want to like you. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And then a couple of years ago, they did... They did an album called Amo, mm. uh, spelled A-M-O, and I think it's the Portuguese word for love, possibly, mm. I think. Um, and that album is like proper, like there are songs on that album that sound like Ed Sheeran songs, like their fan base, some of their fan base really didn't like it because they went really, really poppy and indie. Okay. Um, and it's it's interesting. I, I actually, it's grown on me a lot. I really like that album. And mm. I think that you should give it a go maybe. Okay. But all of this year, they've been putting out singles throughout the year. Mm. and hinting at a new project coming out and they've put out an ep called post-human survival horror no idea but it's it's 32 minutes long which actually makes it longer than 
Pinkerton by Weezer, okay. which we can all agree is an album, right? Yeah. But they're calling it an EP, which is like meant to be like a extended. I don't know. The difference between an album and EP is uh, EPs silly, are like opinion. much shorter than albums, are they? Yeah, like fifteen minutes normally. But I feel like if you if you if you have a half an hour long, you're just a slightly short album. You're not an EP. But that's my little <coughs> irritation. It's a cool album. They've worked with a load of different people. So like I think there's seven or eight songs on this thing and a few of them have got guests on them. So they've done a song on it with Baby Metal, which I like, Ooh. obviously. Sorry. Yeah, I'm they've done a song on it with um a song on it with Young Blood, who don't ask me anything about Young Blood, but he's very popular with yeah, the young he's people. Really popular with like teenagers. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Mm. And then the last track has Amy Lee from Evanescence on it. Yeah, it is really good. So I and they they've kind of gone a bit heavy again. So it's not like really heavy, thrashy, screamy stuff, but it's it's proper like hard rock metal kind of sound, and I really like it. I think um, if you never listened to Bring Me the Horizon, it's a pretty good little taster of what they do because uh, you know it's just half an hour long, so mm. worth checking out. And beyond that, I've just got two films I want to quickly talk to you about. One is called, and I think I think I think this is a recommendation for you. I think you would like this film. <laughs> You said I think many times. <laughs> I, think, I think. But I, I think you would like this one. Okay, it's it's called Spontaneous, okay? okay? And it stars Catherine Langford. Do you know Catherine Langford? It, it rings a bell. Catherine Langford is an actress who was in 13 Reasons Why. Okay. The uh, Netflix show that I've never watched. I know her from Knives Out. She plays the yes. um, daughter of yes. Tony Collette in that film. So she's the main character. She plays Mara, mm-hmm. a high school student. And the film is basically a love story about her relationship with Dylan, played by Charlie Plummer. <laughs> the twist is uh, the film opens with Mara sat in. What? Are uh, you going to tell me the twist school. already? Yeah, because it's the twist of the. It's the reason why it's not just a high school movie, Alex. Okay. It's not a twist at the end of the film. The twist on it is that it opens with Mara sat in class one day and one of the students in her class just explodes out of nowhere. Hence the title spontaneous because they just explode. But it's not an it's not an explosion like nobody else is hurt. Like, it doesn't even damage people's clothing. It's just they suddenly burst as, like, a balloon or something. And mm. the film's quite good about never showing you, never really gruesomely showing you it happening. It's not like a gory film, okay. but you do see, like, the blood the blood afterwards and stuff and people covered in blood from their classmates exploding. Mm. And it's basically, it's not a horror film, even though it sounds horrific. It's a, it's a love story about how these two people, these two teenagers, react to the fact that they might suddenly explode because nobody knows why it's happening. You know that, that so oh that was one of the, my biggest fears when I was little. <laughs> like you would when explode. I was when I was about when I was a teenager I saw yeah. a program of spontaneous combustion and for yeah. like a, a while I was ter- it was just it was I think it must have been like a stupid horror thing and I was convinced yeah. that it might happen. And I was terrified. Yeah. That's crazy. Wow. Yeah. it's Because when I was probably the same age, I read a book about like unsolved mysteries. And one of them was spontaneous combustion. I think it was a program about unsolved mysteries, actually. Like, I don't. Yeah. yeah. There, is a, there is a TV show called Unsolved Mysteries. Yeah. And I was I was um, like, oh, what What if happens? it happens to me? And it was just on my in my head for a while. <laughs> 
Amazing. I think my reaction as a kid was like, oh, I hope I see that happened one day. That would be really great. Oh, see the difference between me and you. Like, oh my God, it's going to happen to me. Yeah. And you go, ooh, that'd be fun to watch. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Um, anything that makes the world more mysterious and weird, I'm I'm up for. Okay. In my in my, if you see what I mean. Anyway, uh, it's a great film. It's a really good film. Catherine Langford is amazing in it. She's really really funny and charming. Like her character is very, um, it could almost be annoying, I suppose, but like very mm. witty and rebellious and different and strange and like you know a bit of a rebellion rebellious teen girl and then charlie Plummer, who plays her love interest dylan is just a really sweet boy and yeah it's really good it starts off very very funny but the plot you know the plot kind of takes it in different directions and it explores a few different ideas as it goes and it ends the ending i i i sort of um it, i shed i shed a tear at the Aww. ending uh and yeah i loved it i really liked it so I'd recommend, yeah, I'd recommend you checking it out. Don't be put off by the what it's about necessarily, because it doesn't it doesn't treat it like a horror film. It treats it like a, a love story. Mm. Yeah, spontaneous. Then the only film to mention because I really like it and just I feel like it's not widely seen and people should watch it. Is last night I watched Hell House LLC. You heard of Hell House LLC? No. 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 <laughs> it's a found it's a found footage movie. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like the Blair Witch Project or Paranormal Activity, one of those films. Yeah. About a group of people who's who run a company that goes and sets up ha- haunted houses for Halloween, if you see okay. what I mean. yeah. So the plot of the movie is that they've gone to this abandoned hotel somewhere in America to turn it into a haunted house. And they live in the hotel while they're setting it up as a haunted house. And throughout the movie, you know, you see the footage of them. You know, it'll be like uh, September the 1st, 46 days until opening night and da-da-da-da. And it kind of goes through like that, and it, as they get closer and closer to the opening of the haunted house, and at the start it tells you that when the house, when the haunted house opened, loads of people died, and it was a big tragedy, and no one knows what happened. Mm. So you're watching it lead up to this point, and different weird things are happening, and then the film ends with you seeing in full detail what happened on the night of the opening and stuff. It is, I've watched it three times, and it the 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 terror of it doesn't diminish for me it has scared me every time i've watched it it's one of the most effective horror movies i've seen and i the reason i watched it last night is because amazon have put up a director's cut of it which has got i think it's got eight new minutes of footage and changes some of the stuff around in the film and then after the film it has about half an hour of deleted scenes and making of stuff and things like that that they've added on how do Um, you sleep last night i was it was a challenge (laughs) (laughs) because you know, I I would sleep with the light on. Oh, there's one. I think the reason it scares me so much is one scene in particular where a guy wakes up and turns on the camera to 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 do like a video diary in the middle of the night, and you can see no. He he's looking at the camera, and you can see no. over his shoulder that there's some there's something in his room that shouldn't be there, and it's oh no. god, it's. <laughs> Just you talking about it, it makes me scared. Um, oh. But if people, if you like horror, if you like found footage movies, if anyone listening, um, it's I think it's on Amazon Prime in just about every country, and it's it's a really really good fun. Um, it's a good fun time if you like uh, if you like found footage. So yeah, check out Hell House LLC. If you've never seen it before, I'd maybe just check out the original version before you look at the director's cut, because mm. um, it's a bit it's just a bit tighter. But yeah, there we go. That's all of my culture catch-up for today. Sit down at the back and be quiet and get out your book because it's time to discuss your homework. 
Okay, so I you asked me to watch Thor Ragnarok uh, because one of your top uh, five actors at the moment is Tessa Thompson, who mm-hmm. uh, plays Valkyrie in Thor Ragnarok. Yes, please. Um, so, uh, well, uh, the story of Thor is he's in uh, prison on the pl- planet of Sakar, and uh, he needs to go back to Asgard and uh, stop Ragnarok, which is the destruction of his world, and um, which will happen because of his sister, Hela, who has woken up because he's father has died yeah odin has died odin has died so that's the story and thor's hammer has been destroyed yes yes thor's hammer key detail has been destroyed uh so um he ends up how how i forgot how does he end up in the planet of the uh, the rubbish planet well because uh, what what happens he ends up somehow oh, in the rubbish Idris Elba, Helmdahl sends him there, right? Doesn't Idris Elba send him there? Idris Elba sends him there. I love that guy. Does he send him there? Yeah. I don't know. He ends up I in the rubbish like planet. Because him, him, and, him and Loki uh, confront Healer just after Odin has died, yeah. right? Yeah. And the Healer destroys Thor's hammer. Ah, yes. And, and then-, then he asks for help. And then Idris Helber sends him to the planet of rubbish. Perfect. Yes. Uh, and that's key to say, even if I don't remember, is because that's when you, where you meet the Valkyrie. Yes. Played by Tessa Who Thompson. else do you meet there, though? Who rules the planet of rubbish? <laughs> the planet of rubbish <laughs> is ruled by Jeff Goldblum, which oh. is the Grandmaster, who, which is perfect and also yeah. what i love in the film the film is first first of all directed by taika watiti but also yeah. it has um a rachel house as kind of uh jeff goldblum's assistant and she yes was yes in she was the policewoman in hunt for the wilder people and when i saw oh, this, her yeah was she a social worker in hunt a for the social wilder worker people? With the policeman, yeah. yeah, the social worker in Hunt for the Wilder People. And when I saw it, I was like, yes, yes, <laughs> yes. Her and Jeff Goldblum yeah. work very well together. They both have really strange uh, energies and it, just, it was beautiful. Um, mm. Yeah, so the rubbish planet is really important because that's where you may meet Valkyrie. And that scene where you meet her is hilarious <laughs> yes it is where like, she walks down the she just walks her walking the down the, the... Of, the, of his spaceship <laughs> she walks down the plank yeah. of a spaceship and she just falls off and it was just perfect <laughs> yeah yeah because she's a, yeah and in that yeah. moment i was like yeah and she sold me she sold i was sold at that moment and she's great She's very, very good in it. And I, I thought she was brilliant. And I this film made me love the Thor franchise even more. Yeah, yeah. Because I love Thor. Like, I, I always loved the Thor. Like, from the beginning, I always loved for Thor. But this one, I think, has elevated Thor to the next level. Yeah, definitely. Especially because my, my least favourite Marvel movie is the second Thor film, which I think is 
pretty rubbish. Ah, yeah, it is rubbish. The first one is much um, better, but I... The I, first I, one's pretty good, yeah. second one's terrible, and then this one, for me, just... Yeah. <sighs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> love it. Yeah, and um, I love <laughs> that at one point, um, Chris Hemsworth's brother... Which is the least famous Hemsworth, and what's his name? I don't know. One oh, of the Hemsworth. Liam Hemsworth. Not Martin Liam. Hemsworth. The other one, Martin, maybe. J- James Hemsworth. Plays, plays, uh, th- like Thor in the play, the play in the play, yeah. and he plays Thor. I yeah. thought that was a really clever move. Um, yeah. The film. Did you spot the other cameos in that bit? Uh, the other cameos in the bit, I did spot them. One of them was uh, Matt Damon as Loki. Yeah, yeah. And the other one was um, Sam Neill. Uh, Sam Neill. When I saw, I was like, "Yeah, Sam Neill." You know, um, I think it's a brilliant movie. I, I, I'm so glad I watched it, and it kind of uh, reignited my. I don't know. I just, I just really, really enjoyed it. It was just really fun to watch. Uh, good acting, yep. good comedy, um, good moments, uh, great directing. Taika Waititi is on fire at the moment. Um, yeah, yeah, on for fire. Sure. He's in the movie as well. He's very good in the film. I who is he in the film? Korg. He's Korg, the rock man. Is he? Yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. my god. I was like, oh, my, oh, they got another. <laughs> I'm such an idiot. <laughs> I was like, oh, they got another Kiwi act actor. That's so great. Well done, Taika Waititi. And it's him. And I think yeah, he's one him. of the best characters. Yeah, he is. He's, so he's very, very funny in it. It's funny. And he's all like, oh, well, now I'm going to. Like, uh, I tried to start a revolution. It's just beautiful. <laughs> no, it's a really, really yeah. good movie. Really well done. When the Hulk comes out, that's a beautiful movie. I was about movie. to say, haven't even mentioned the Hulk yet. The Hulk is in it. Um, Mark Ruffalo is perfect for the Hulk, by the way. Yeah, Mark, Mark Ruffalo is really good as the Hulk. But the bit where the bit where he he's in the arena and the Hulk comes out and the yeah. just like, oh, uh, it's you. Yeah. <laughs> I know you. Yeah, he's a friend from work. Perfect. Perfect. Yeah. Um, no, I, I thought it was brilliant. I really enjoyed it and I'm really glad nice. I watched it. because. What do you good. think about the bits where it goes back to, um, oh, what's it called? The world of Thor. What's Thor's? Asgard. Yeah. The Asgard sequences with Hela once Thor is on the scrap planet. What do you mean? Because it, it occasionally will cut back to show yeah. what's happening on Asgard with like the rebellion, you know, yeah. Idris Elba's leading people. I felt like the film sort of slows down a little bit during those sequences. Yeah, that that you're right. And is, is it? It's Kate Blanchett, isn't it? The yeah. place Hela. Yeah. And she's she's good, but also her power of being able to just have knives fly out of it all the time is a bit. Yeah. Feels a bit. I don't know. Not that exciting yeah. or not that interesting to watch at times. I don't know. I really when they go the back at the end for the big fight, it's yeah. cr- really cool. Yeah. But, but, but in the middle, it's a bit like I just want to be back on the the garbage world with Jeff Goldblum. Yeah. But I don't know. I I enjoyed the film so much that I didn't really I didn't really mind those bits. It was just kind of That's it was fair. a. I feel like it was a really good contrast, like the action yeah, packed that. and kind of colorful, um, rubbish world and yeah, the bleak world of Hella. And she was yeah. just like, she, had, you know, it was so easy for her to get everything. 
Yeah. Maybe part of it's from when I've watched it like when I've watched it like a second or third time. Yeah. Those bits feel like they drag on a bit more because I know that there's really good stuff coming up on the uh, yeah. New world. Although Carl Carl Urban um, as the guy that replaces Idris Elba as the gatekeeper mm. is very funny. Yeah, he is. He's really really good. No, I, I th- he's I got those was... two guns. Mm? He's got those two. There's a bit where he's got two guns and he's naming them and he's yeah. trying to impress those women. Yeah. yeah. It's a good film. Yeah. Um, all right, cool. Yeah, okay, great. I'm really glad that you liked it and it led you to watch some more Marvel movies as well. So, yeah. success. And Tessa Thompson is good. You'll see her in, I think you'll see her in Endgame a bit, but not obviously not as big a role as in uh, mm. Ragnarok because no one has a big role. In, there's too many people in Endgame for anyone to have a big role. I can't believe they managed um, to get everybody. I was, I was quite impressed by Infinity War to have everybody there this, kind of at the same time. Yeah, Endgame yeah. is... Endgame is, I prefer Endgame because Infinity War feels a bit like just loads and loads of massive action sequences in a row. Yeah, and everybody dies. Yeah, Endgame's got more story to it, I think. Okay. And some people, I think some people prefer Infinity War because I think some people get irritated by the story in Endgame. But I, I really like the what mm. Endgame does and the kind of emotional moments it delivers are, are pretty fun. Do you think I should watch um, Spider-Man Homecoming? Not Homecoming. Yeah, Homecoming, the first one. Yes. Before you watch... uh, I would watch Homecoming before you watch Endgame. Okay. And then definitely don't watch Far From Home until you've watched Endgame. Anyway, anyway, anyway. Shall we talk about Chewing Gum? Yes, let's talk about Chewing Gum. Okay, Chewing Gum. I had to watch Chewing Gum because Michaela Cole, who wrote Chewing Gum and stars in it as Tracy, uh, was one of your top five actors, correct? Yes, correct. Yes. Um, So Chewing Gum is a comedy. A comedy drama or just a comedy? I think it's a comedy. Well... Yeah, it's... Comedy, comedy. comedy. Let's say it's a comedy. Comedy about 24-year-old Tracy Mm -hmm. who lives in Tower Hamlets in London and works in a shop and has had what seems to be an extraordinarily strict religious upbringing um, leading to her to be fairly virginal, I think is how Netflix describes her. (laughs) Virginal. Okay. It was Netflix or somewhere was like, the virginal Tracy. And I was like, oh, okay. (laughs) Oh. So, chewing gum. I watched... So, so I have watched all of the first series of Chewing Gum. I've watched six episodes. Okay. But not the second season, just the first. Um, it continues the tradition of you <laughs> talking about being slightly uncomfortable about sex scenes and oh, then making me watch something full of sex I know. Scenes. Why? <laughs> Why is this happening at the moment? I don't know. I'm I don't sorry. know. It's, it's you. It's not me. <laughs> I know. I know it's me. I know it's me. Like if you watched Insecure, you'll be uh, or uh, Euphoria, you'll be the, you'll do you'll think the same. Oh, I God. just don't understand. So I was watching it, and I got to the third episode, and when the third episode started, and I it was so it was again going to be about sex. I was like, oh come, Alex, what are you doing to me? <laughs> so ultimately, chewing gum. Um, it's an interesting show. It feels like the the theme tune's really fun. I like the theme tune. The intro sequence sort of sets it up quite well, I think, because it mm. shows how happy she is. Mm. 
and sort of comfortable almost with her place in the world. Like she wants to change things and achieve things, but she also seems quite, she's a very bubbly person, mm. is Tracy. Um, and it has this, it has this odd tone to it where it feels like, it feels a bit like a children's drama that would mm. be on CBBC. Because mm. all the sets are very bright and all the everyone's very bubbly, mm. but then but then it's a, then it's then all of the storylines are about various different like sexual encounters and and things around that. So it's quite an interesting. I don't. I've not watched anything quite like it before. Mm. Uh, I was definitely skeptical and unsure about it for the first few episodes, but I watched episode six earlier today, mm. and. Episode six was the turning point. I turned around on episode six and really enjoyed it. Okay. And I think I like it. I think I like it and I want to watch the second series. Okay. Good. <laughs> Is that all right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like, as long, there's always a turning point, isn't there, in something? Yeah. And then you either stop watching or you watch more. And yeah. Well. Yeah. I was definitely like, I don't know. It's she's very Michaela Cole is really really good in it. Yeah. All the actors are really good in it, actually. Mm. The actress who plays her sister, whose mm. name I don't know, but she's in. I've seen her in Year of the Rabbit with Matt Berry and a few other things, and she's really good. Mm. Um, and the act the actor that plays the boyfriend of her friend, mm. he's been in. He was in The Stranger on Netflix, which I really enjoyed. Yeah. So. Yeah, it was cool to see them in different things as well. And I really like the guy, her, her, the boyfriend she has at the start of the series, who she thinks is gay. Yeah, yeah. There's yeah. a scene in the first episode where he's like, don't you walk away from me, or something, and then he just gets hit by a car. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. That was funny. It's It's definitely weird how similar it feels to... Fleabag as well in some ways, like with the constant turning to the camera and discussing what's going on. Yeah. Um, with the camera, it feels like. And did it come out before Fleabag? I think or so. Yeah. Around the same time. I think before. Like, yeah, no, because it's it's interesting. It's doing that when mm. Fleabag did it as well. Um. But but yeah, no, it's good. It's good. Uh, I think the only actor the only actor I'm a bit unsure of is is the guy that plays Connor. Yeah, yeah, he's quite annoying, isn't he? He's very sort of like a blank slate in it. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I guess that's intentional. It's inten- he's intentionally meant to be an obviously not very good boyfriend for her, not a good partner. Yeah. Because she's just sort of, I mean, that's the impression I get. She's just sort of, because she's re- the, the kind of plot of it is that she's rebelling against her upbringing mm. and has decided she wants to kind of have a slightly more normal life. Yeah. Would you agree? Yeah, I guess so, yeah. Like um, more like conventional life, yeah. Conventional, yeah. Conventional. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. And like, so she's just, she's made this decision. She's decided that Ronald is um not you know not going to work. Mm. So then she just sort of immediately falls into Connor. Yeah. And he he kind of yeah it, you can see by the end of series one that she's not really content with him, and she's going to go for bigger and better things. Hmm. Yeah. Hopefully. Good. Good so you're going to watch the second season and then... I'm going, to watch, I'm going to watch the second season. I'll report back like I did with Sex Education. Yes, please. And uh, yeah, no, I enjoyed it. It's good. It's good. It's weird. It's different, but it's good. Good. I'm glad. 
Good. Good times. Um, I think my favourite episode of her series is where she wants to work in the perfume shop. Yeah. And she gets, the guy convinces her to deal cocaine and then she drinks a glass full of (laughs) cocaine, I guess. Yeah. Um, the the kind of the confidence she has going into that job or job interview is very very funny in that yeah. episode. Yeah. And she's so convinced that she's going to be the perfect saleswoman. Yeah. <laughs> Even when she's not, she still thinks she is. Yeah. You've got to admire that that level of like self assurance. Yeah. For sure. Five, four, three, two, one. Our top five. Boom. Before Do you want to start? start? Before we start, can I say something? No. Okay. So let's start. No, you can go on. Uh, Well, um, so I was amazed when I made my list. Uh, And I know it's not something new I'm saying. And I know it's not, you know, know, a discovery. But how, how white and male, especially, my list is. So it's mainly male... Well, it's only male white directors. Well, male directors definitely. White, not so much. <laughs> but I mean, um, so I, ha- I did a little bit of research, and uh, in uh, I only checked um, the Oscars and Cannes Film Festival. So in the Oscars, yeah. only five women have ever been nominated. For an Oscar, yep. five directors, yep. uh, female directors have been nominated, and only one has won. Catherine Bigelow. Yes. Right. For yep. the um, what's it called? Uh, the Hurt the Locker. The one about the the Hurt Locker. The Hurt Locker, and then in Cannes Film Festival, uh, the first woman who won the Best Director was uh, Jane Campion for The Piano, amazing film. Okay. In 1993, and the next mm. woman that won was Sofia Coppola in 2017, the second woman to win the Best Director in 71 years, which is ridiculous, for a film mm. called The Beguiled, which is a film. Oh, that, The Beguiled. Ah, The Beguiled. And I feel a yes. film that I've, I haven't heard of. I've heard of it, I haven't seen it. I would like to watch it. And so it, it's crazy how it's still so male dominated i don't know i just wanted to say it you're right to say it it, yeah. is, a, it is a problem with hollywood and the film industry generally yeah. is that you know there's not yeah. enough opportunities for female directors it would seem do you have the same in your list uh yeah yeah largely caucasian men yeah for sure white men mm. but you know it's part of it is growing up in uh you know, growing up watching films coming out of an industry where that is ninety five percent of the films, and it's unfortunate. And there's de- yeah, there's definitely yeah, it's a problem. And I'm sure, I'm sure there are extremely creative women out there that would would like an opportunity. Like you can't make. I don't think you can make the argument that oh well, there are just less women that want to do it. I, d- no. I don't think that's true. I don't think that's true at all. I don't think um, that's true at all. And amazing and you know, enough that Sofia Coppola had the platform that she had because of her father, because. Maybe without yes. her father, we wouldn't have had Sofia Coppola. Although she's very talented, as we can see from Hollywood, there don't seem to be many di- women directors. Yeah, definitely. Like it's not like her success isn't necessarily due to no. her dad, but no. her 
her ability to get into the industry, you could yeah. credit partly to possibly her her father. Yeah. Um, so, well done, Francis Ford Coppola, for creating Sophia. Yeah, and for making the um, <laughs> Godfather. Yes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but mainly for creating Sophia Coppola, the Godfather, so, the longest films ever made. I don't think I've, I've ever only... been able to watch an entire Godfather. I've only watched the first one and the second one once, and I've never seen the third one. But I, you know, I fell asleep in the first one. I fell asleep in the second one. I didn't even try the third one. So, yeah. So no, I. But it's funny though, because like you're right, I would fall asleep in the Godfather, but I would also sit and watch five episodes of The Sopranos in a row and have absolutely no problem. Yeah, well, that was different. That was funny. No, I know, but it's just because that's longer. That would take longer to do. But yeah. for some reason, it's easier to binge a bunch of TV sometimes and watch a whole... Anyway, what's your fifth fa- <laughs> fa- favourite director, Alex? Okay, my fifth favourite director is uh, being added this week because of a film that you made me watch. And I thought, I'm going to put him in. And my number five is Taika Waititi. Oh, I like yeah. it. Love to hear yeah. it. Yeah, uh, I put Taika Waititi because I think he's amazing. What he's done with Thor, uh, just the ideas. And, and the problem, before we carry on, the problem that I was having was like, is it, do I like Taika Waititi because I like how he writes? Or do I like Taika Waititi on how he directs? And I'm, I'm, I'm there's a fine line for me and directing and um, writing, but. Uh, You're true. It's that all turf thing, isn't it? Like the full creative yeah. product. Yeah, but but uh, if you think about oh, anyway, sorry, go on. No, no, you can. Yeah, see. All I was going to say in it, it, it to support you is that like part of directing as well as being choosing the camera shots, etc. Part of it is getting performances out of actors, and that is it, where his true exactly. skill lies. I think. Exactly. What he's created, and that's what sold me this week, uh, Thor Ragnarok, what he's created there was really beautiful. Um, Not just just, just how the characters were and how amazing the connection between characters was, you know? Yeah. And that's what I was trying to say before between uh, Jeff Goldblum and, um, I forgot her name, but the the same person from... uh, Yeah the hunt for the wilder people the connection they had was so great that it's hard to find that kind of connection if you don't have an, a director that makes you have that connection and i think mm-hmm. he manages to make things funny in a really simple way and things effective mm-hmm. in a really simple like things just flow yeah and and also in a very unique way i've never quite like he's a really fresh voice like yeah Definitely. No one quite makes comedy like he does. No, and I think he should definitely make the new Akira. Like oh. I think <laughs> I because when I yeah. said meh meh meh, but I think he's I think he could just bring something out of the bag that would be amazing. And, and I agree. The the amount of range he has, because you know, he went from Flight of the Concords to uh Thor Ragnarok, and in the meantime, he did Jojo Rabbit and yeah. uh, um, What We Do in the Shadows, um, yeah, Hunt for the Wilder People, which the, the, the scenery that he shoots in fight, uh, Hunt for the Wilder People is amazing. Like, yeah. he's 
great. And I, I, I think he's amazing. And I think he's just going to get better. Like he's just growing and growing and growing. And I, yeah. I love his style and I love what he does with films. And do you know uh, what his yeah. next, next project is? Um, I don't. He's making a film called Next Goal Wins. Okay. Which is based on a documentary about yeah. a Dutch-American man's efforts to lead the American Samoa national football team to qualification in the World Cup. And oh. they were famously the worst football team in the world. <laughs> um, I'm really excited to see what he mm. does with that story. Yeah. No. And then after that, he's making another Thor movie. Do you know what yeah. his next Thor movie's about? Uh, Thor, what's it called? Thor, Love, Love and Thunder. And f- yeah. I'm excited about that. And he's doing a Suicide Squad? The Suicide Squad? No, that's James Gunn. So why is it on his thing in IMDb? Because he's in it. He's ah, he's acting in it. in it. He's acting. Oh, how exciting. Yeah. Um, yes, it's quite, it's weird actually. They did a, at some Comic-Con or something recently, they put a, they put a big thing together where they showed every single actor that's in that new Suicide mm. Squad movie with the character they're going to play. Mm. But but then they didn't put they just showed Taika Waititi and didn't mm. say his character so there's some kind of mystery around who uh, he's playing in that film. Okay. So I'm interested to see what happens with that. Yeah, but I I thanks to you I put him. Yeah. I put him in my have top five. Have you watched five. the Ma- Have you watched the Mandalorian on Disney no, Plus? No, I'm going to. So it, there's an. This is how this is how good a director he is. The final the finale of the Mandalorian. I'm not gonna. I won't spoil any plot details. But the finale of the first season of The Mandalorian, I was watching it. I was like, "This is, this is something that is different about this." Like there was there was a scene with two stormtroopers having a conversation mm. that was really funny, and I was like, "This just isn't this. Something's changed." And I looked it up, and he had directed that episode. Like you can you can kind of yeah. tell when he's mm. behind the camera, and that yeah. is definitely the sign of a great director. Yeah, because I don't think Thor Ragnarok would have been so good if he hadn't been the director of it. Of it. No, I mean. As good as Chris Hemsworth is, he had played Thor, what, five times by that yeah, point? But and like no brought, one had gotten a performance like that. He brought him. Chris Hemsworth out. Like yeah. he just got what he did before in Thor, he took it to a different level. And I was just yeah. like, Yes, yes. And Chris Hemsworth had shown he could do comedy. He was in like the, the Ghostbusters reboot, he was pretty funny in that. I yeah. think Taiko Titi knew that he had somebody could, that could do comedy and he just pushed yeah. him and got just yeah. such a funny, yeah, charming performance out of him. It's brilliant. Yeah. Absolutely and brilliant. he seems like a really nice guy, and it just seems like it would be incredible to work with him. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, so I, I, I had to. It was just you. Uh, Thor Ragnarok sold it. <laughs> he, he, he nearly made my list. I was very tempted to put him on there, but yeah. he's in my um, honorable mentions instead. Mm, yeah, but I think it's a strong choice. Oh, thank okay. you very much, George. You're very welcome. So my my number five. Yes. My number five is an, a director who just makes film after film after film that I think is gorgeous beyond possibility. Mm. And it is a director called Denis Villeneuve. Oh. Do you know Denis Villeneuve? Uh, I don't. I don't think. He's a. I think he's. I. I think he's French. I hope he's French. <laughs> I don't hope he's French. I think he's French. I'm pretty sure he's French. Let me just double check here. Denis Villeneuve. Denis Villeneuve, yeah, French-Canadian. He's French-Canadian uh, film director, producer, screenwriter. 
He's made a few films, among them Prisoners, starring Jake Gyllenhaal and Hugh Jackman. Okay. Have you seen that? Uh, no. Very, no. Oh, just a wonderful, that's a, yeah, I'll talk about it in a bit. Uh, Enemy with Jake Gyllenhaal, Sicario, have you seen Sicario? No. <sighs> Arrival, have you seen Arrival? No. Blade Runner 2049? No. And he is set to release, in fact, this December he was set to release uh, a new adaptation of Dune, the uh, David Lynch, well, David Lynch directed it in the 70s, it's the Frank Frank Herbert sci-fi novel from the 60s. Uh, the trailer for that looks, oh my good God, amazing. Mm. And it's just been delayed a whole year to next December now because of coronavirus. Mm. But much worse things have happened as a result of that. But anyway, uh, so you've not seen any of his films? No. <laughs> okay. Fair enough. I think I think I you probably know all of my directors, and I probably don't know any of yours. No, you will. No, you will know some of mine. Um, I talked a few weeks ago on my on the um, top five movie soundtracks episode about um, film scores that are very. Uh, like the under the skin score, it works mm. with atmosphere and tone rather than he kind of he, his films have a lot of that in them. It's very atmospheric, very tone. Like he uses music. Sicario, mm. Sicario is a film about the Mexican drug cartels, basically, mm. and it stars um, Emily Blunt and Benicio del Toro and Josh Brolin. Mm as people working to kind of put a stop to drug trafficking across the Mexican border. Okay. He manages to, using using the score that his, his composer puts together and, and the way he shoots, he turns it into a horror film. It's not like, there's no, there's no monster, like it's not a horror film, mm. but it feels like he tro- he shows the true horror of how these Mexican drug cartels behave by filming their actions like it's a horror film. It's it's a it's a it's an incredible movie. It's a genius piece of work. The first time I watched it, I wasn't expecting anything like it because I didn't really know him as a director, and I didn't like it. I thought it was really dull. Mm. And then once I'd kind of watched some of his other movies, and I went back and tried it again, and kind of was in the rhythm of him as a director. I just loved it. He's got a very particular rhythm. His films don't necessarily move at a very quick pace, mm. but they always tell a really detailed story with characters that you can kind of really get to learn to know and understand and and it's just wonderful i love his films prisoners one of his earlier movies is about um hugh jackman plays a dad whose i think daughter disappears okay and jake gyllenhaal plays a cop kind of in you know investigating the disappearance and uh hugh jackman decides that jake gyllenhaal's not doing his job quickly enough and takes Mm. matters into his own hands and again, it's just a really brutal, kind of nasty movie in a way, um, but it's it's so engrossing. It's one of my it's one of my favorite movies. I really like Prisoners. Um, one of Jake Gyllenhaal's best performances. Definitely mm. Hugh Jackman's best performance ever. He's another director that can just get brilliant performances out of people. And yeah, and I mean, one of my favorite movies of all time. My favorite movie of all time for years was Blade Runner. He yeah. made a sequel to Blade Runner that is somehow as good as Blade Runner, which shouldn't be possible, Mm. should not be possible, but I sat in a cinema watching Blade Runner 2049 and I was just enraptured for the entire movie. He is an an amazing piece of work, that Mm. that Blade Runner sequel, and it makes me so excited to see his uh, Dune adaptation. 
Yeah, that's when be... it eventually comes out. But yeah, you haven't you haven't seen any of his movies, but no. he's uh, he's really cool. It's a good director. You should um, check him out. Definitely. Evil and you. Yeah, I've been meaning to watch uh, Blade Runner for quite some time. It like a, similar to um, similar to Endgame. It's a it's a long old <laughs> film, yeah. but it's yeah. good. Another one with a great great soundtrack as well. Mm. Okay, what's your number four? My number four is um, a director duo, which most of the time work together. They're brothers. Oh, you probably know who they are. Know, yeah, I think I know who it is. Who it is? Who is it? It is it, the Cohen brothers. Yeah. Ah, what a good choice. My number four is R is R the Cohen brothers. Um, cool. Very well. It's kind of. I don't know, maybe a boring choice. You know, everybody loves the Coen brothers, but I I love all of their films. <laughs> so I was just like, well, might as well put them in. Um, you know, we we share a love for the Big Lebowski. And yeah, that's again, I, adore the Big Lebowski. I was thinking, what, what, there's a really fine line between writing and directing, isn't it? So it's kind of... Yeah. Um, but yeah, um, the Coen brothers are a director duo, a directorial duo, yes? Yeah, I think often only one of them is credit as director, but that's because yeah. of some odd guild rules rather than. Yeah. They do yeah. direct as a pair. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, Joel, from Joel uh, and Ethan. Joel and Ethan and Cohen and uh, from Joel, Ethan band- and Cohen. Yes, shut up. Uh, you know they <laughs> they directed like the <laughs> Hatsaka Proxy, Fargo, The Big Lebowski, yeah. <sighs> Inside Lewis Davies. A Serious Man, uh, Barton Fink, Burn After Reading, Intolerable Cruelty, which I love, um, mm. et cetera, et cetera. And they just create perfect films, which are funny and uh, interesting. And uh, they kind of have kind of similar themes. Uh, a lot of them like are to do with crime, but they managed to do them in like, in different ways, using different styles, and yeah, yeah. Um, like if you if you can compare, for example, uh, Fargo with Oh Brother Where Art Thou, like they're just two complete different universes. Yeah, and uh, there isn't really anything like the Coen Brothers. They're quite unique in what they create, they and are sometimes, quite yeah, that it's just you don't. I I believe that they're quite unique you don't really see anything like them. And that's why I put them in because oh. I think they're so, they're, they're a gift, <laughs> I think, the Coen brothers. Yeah, definitely. And, when uh, I was watching um, The Devil All the Time a few weeks ago on Netflix, do you know that? Are we talked about that, do you remember? Mm. It's got Tom Holland in it. Yeah. That's about, because, I mean, the Coen brothers are at their best, I think, when they're making films about ordinary people encountering horrific events or extraordinary yeah. events in some yeah. way. Yeah. And The Devil All the Time kind of fits into that mould Mm. Oh, like people get people, someone getting in over their head. That's a big mm. like theme for them. And I was watching The Devil all the time. And I was like, this feels like a Coen Brothers movie. Like really dark things are happening to really nice yeah. people or very ordinary people. Yeah. But then the thing that sets them apart is how funny it's. There's always a real line of humor going yeah. through their films that kind of like takes the edge off how brutal some of the kind of actions and events yeah. can be. And I think yeah. when you like, I think I'd agree in terms of them being unique in that they balance that better than anyone else. And also when um, the the use of color, um, if you th- if you think about 
Oh Brother Where Art Thou and True Grit um, and uh, maybe even Raising Arizona. Like the color palette they use is just so, it's different. It's just kind of, they create like a a nostalgic kind of feel to things. Yeah, It's interesting you say that because Oh Brother Where Art Thou is um, notable in the history of film for being the first ever movie to be entirely color corrected in post-production, right? Yeah. Yeah, which, is why which was amazing it's to all see. Sepia. Yeah, 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 which was amazing to see because we were alive and can remember that. And that was a I loved watching a brother out thou, uh, and just thinking, wow, this is different. And yeah, so I just I I think there is nothing like the Coen Brothers. There is nobody like them. There is nobody that could create cinematic experiences like them, and such. A variety of cinematic experiences. So I love them. I would agree. I think I've only ever seen one Coen Brothers movie that I didn't like. Which was? Um, the Lady Killers remake they did. Okay, yeah. I've never I watched found, that one. I was not it interested. Was, it's, <laughs> yeah, no, I would... Yeah, It's just very, very silly. Like, yeah. like lots of fart jokes and stuff. Mm. was not for me. Yeah. Yeah, but, but other than that, they are they are wonderful, wonderful, brilliant, and yeah, maybe predictable. My choices maybe today are predictable, but I don't think that. I mean, that, that, that yeah, but that doesn't need to be. That's no, no, not no. a bad thing. But, that's uh, but that's the thing for me. Like they are perfect, and that's why I have them. Yeah, no, that's great. I love the Coen Brothers. They are the best. I mean, the, yeah, the Big Lebowski, Fargo. The fact they made Fargo and won loads of awards for it and then immediately folded it up with The Big Lebowski. I mean, yeah. how does anyone have that level of creativity I, in there? I, I don't know. I don't know. And um, I love the fact that... <laughs> I've been quandering Murray... a week and I'm exhausted. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, Bill Murray agreed to do the Garfield films because he thought the Coen brothers had written the script. And they didn't. No, they it was hadn't. somebody else with the same with a similar surname. Oh, like they're no. Cohen, right? And somebody called Cohen had written. No, <laughs> Bill. What a mistake. Yeah. I don't know if that's just a funny story Bill Murray tells, but I like to think it's true. <laughs> yeah. So my number four is um the only director on my list that primarily makes foreign language or international films. Mm. Uh he is a Korean director. Ooh. Bong- Bong Joon-ho. Yes, baby. <laughs> Bong Joon-ho. I adore... I really like Korean cinema. I think there's a mm. sensibility to Korean cinema that that is yeah. that you don't quite get anywhere else in the world. I think... Mm. I heard someone describe it once as being Korean directors have a, are, are able to shift tone really quickly. Like, they'll have mm. a very serious scene and then a really, really funny scene just within seconds of each other. Yeah. And they somehow manage to, like... And not in the way the Coen brothers will have, like dark comedy running through their thrillers like mm. a korean director will put in like a great example is in um snowpiercer a bong joon ho movie have you seen snowpiercer no i haven't actually so it's one of his english language films okay. i think it might be his not his only one but no it's an english language movie it stars chris evans as um a guy who <laughs> is on a tr- <laughs> the, the 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 part of the film is that the earth is frozen mm. and the only the only remaining humans that are alive uh, live on a train that constantly circles the globe okay 
and it's a class it's a class metaphor in the way that parasite is as well it's one of his themes that he goes back mm. to often so it's you know the idea is that the poorest people live on the back end of the train and mm. eat these kind of protein bars and are all filthy and dirty etc and okay. uh, Chris Evans is kind of the leader of them in a way mm. and then um the rich people live at the front of the train and have uh, really nice things and the mm. film is about Chris Evans trying to lead the poor people to the front of the train to take over and you know make it fairer essentially mm. now there's a there's a bit in the film where they get to this room i can't remember it exactly but they get to this room and it's this big clear space and a load of soldiers come in from the other end to try and stop them making their way up and they're going to have to fight them and it's this really intense very serious scene they start this fight mm. And then Chris Evans just stands on a fish and slips over and falls down. And it's this mad, <laughs> h- hilarious bit of slapstick in the middle of this incredibly tense, dramatic action sequence. And that ability to just be ha- perfectly comfortable putting in something completely ludicrous and ridiculous in the middle of something that's quite serious mm. and get away with it. I think that's what I love about Korean cinema and that's what I love about Bong Joon-ho as well. He's he, Well, I love a lot about Bong Joon-ho. He makes interesting mm. movies. Uh, how many of his films have you seen? What what have you seen? I've seen Parasite. Yes. And that's it, you've I seen, think. Have you seen Okja? Okja? No, I still, no, I think I've only seen Parasite of his. Okay, it, so he's, he's made... Has he done Go on. Old Boy? No, no, that's, that's, that's the um, one from Park Chan Wook. Park Chan Wook, who's done um, The Handmaiden. Yes, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. So who's, of he's, his, he's I've only seen well. Parasite. So uh, he's done a great movie called Mother, which is about a woman uh, trying to look after her son who is accused of a crime, and her son is um, sort of developmentally disabled. Um, and that's a really good film. <laughs> the, mm. uh, anyway. He did the first film of his I saw was called Host, which is like a monster movie, like a Godzilla film, but it's no, it's not a Godzilla movie, but it's a monster movie in the vein of mm. Godzilla. But it's about this kind of giant uh, sea creature thing that attacks, I think it's Seoul, or attacks a Korean city. Mm. Um, and again, it opens with this really oddly funny scene about these two American guys having a conversation in English about pouring away this chemical, and that's mm. what leads to the monster being created. Um, but then it focuses in on this guy who's trying to get. It's the guy, It's the same actor that plays the dad in uh, the poor dad in Parasite, who okay. it kind of he uses again and again. Mm. Um, he's like a kind of guy that runs a news agency on the on the riverbank, and he's trying to kind of connect with his daughter who gets kidnapped by the monster, and he's trying to rescue her. And he, you know, it's a monster movie, but it focuses in on the characters, and that's kind of mm. a bit like why I love Jurassic Park. That's what makes his films work is that he just cares so much about his characters. Mm. And then the story comes. The story comes once you care about the characters, essentially, and that's a difficult thing to pull off. And he does it really well. So yeah, Mother, Host, Parasite, Snowpiercer, Akia, all stellar movies. I can't wait to see what he does in the future, and mm. I hope he continues. I hope he gets to continue making interesting films and doesn't end up kind of getting dragged into the studio system, which might not be true of the next person on my list. But we'll talk about them in a minute. Okay. So yeah, Bong Joon Ho. Bong Joon Ho. I I really want to watch uh, Okja. Looks amazing. Um, Okja's really cool. Really mm. different and weird. Uh, Jake again. Yeah. Jake John Hall. Keep bringing him up. He he puts in a great performance in Okja. Cool. All right. What's your number My three? My number three 
is another director that I have talked about before. Uh, and he is, uh, for me, an obvious choice. Uh, and it was one of the first ones. Like, the next three are the first ones I put in. And I just yeah. had to choose this, the if which one was first, second, or third. Because the right, next three yeah. are, like, my unmovables. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yes. Uh, so the next one is a director called Quentin Tarantino. Okay. Yes. Um, I love Quentin. I love all of his films. Uh, I think uh, a bit like the Coen Brothers, he's so unique in what he has done, and so not. Uh, like you said before, not following the system, not following the studio, but going his own way. Yeah. Which I really ad- admire, especially now. It must be, it's quite hard not to like follow, you know, do the big films and do them a certain kind of way. Um, yeah, definitely. I bet he could have very easily just taken the money and made a load of pretty good blockbusters and, and stuff. And instead, he Absolutely. decided to yeah. do his own uh, thing. Yeah, and exactly. And that's what he does. He does his own thing. He doesn't follow, for example, um, I remember having an argument a few years ago in a pub with someone and he's saying, oh, well, he uses music from anything else. It's like, yeah, but he doesn't follow the rules. He's do- He does his own rules. He uses music that he wants to use. He uses music yeah. that he enjoys listening to. He uses his, uh, the music in his own way, in his own style. And that's what it is why why criticize something that is different why do we have to follow a pattern and i think that's what he does he doesn't do he doesn't follow the the flow is that a thing yeah the yeah this the, what the studio what the studio want and he still yeah. managed to have an incredible <laughs> career and incredible films um and they've changed a lot throughout the years he has extremely sometimes you have like scenes where he has extremely long dialogues and you go where is this going to go you know <laughs> and uh there's a scene where um there's one in jackie brown where um samuel jackson and robert de niro have the longest conversation in a but in a little pickup truck and and then samuel jackson shoots him like random things that you know these conversations are going to lead to something that is not right or not yeah. supposed to happen um so I, I i like that the kind of him dragging on a moment for ine- the inevitable to happen because you know samuel jackson is gonna be angry with robert de niro but that moment that has been dragged on for a very long time is just yeah pure genius because you know something bad is going to happen something is definitely going to happen just yeah. do it, but he does. He does that very well in the opening of Inglorious Bastards as well, doesn't he? Yes, yes. And um, in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, I think he just switched switched gears again and mm-hmm. created something really different. And I think, like the Coen Brothers, he's totally unique. He creates incredible things and. And also he creates like different realities that, you know, in Inglorious Bastards, uh, in the end, uh, they kill um, Hitler, but that doesn't happen. So he just created a different reality where the oppressor wins. You know what I mean? Yeah, historical historical revisionism. Yeah. And he does which, it again in Django Unchained, doesn't he? It's yeah. a very interesting... 
I really enjoy because why can we not see that? Why can we not just have something that, because it is kind of, I don't know, I think it creates a different world, like a comic book in a way. So if you look at it in yeah, a way yeah, that is um, a comic book, then you, I don't know. I, I think I think he's unique and incredible and I love all of his work. And again, like the okay. Coen brothers, maybe predictable, but I think he's great. I think something I really like about him is that he doesn't he doesn't mind reminding you that you're watching a film. Like his films are films. He's not trying to kind of create necessarily a real world. He knows it's a heightened yeah. world. Yeah. And then anything can happen and it can work. And it's it's yeah. it's what makes his movies so exciting to watch, especially the first time because you really don't know what's going to happen like anything. Yeah. It could go into a cartoon. He could yeah. he could turn up and start talking to you. Yeah. Like any literally anything could happen. Yeah. Like but it, I rewatched. It, it's great. I I rewatched Pulp Fiction the other day, and I just loved it. I just loved yeah. it again. I could just. It's just a. It's just an incredible film, and mm-hmm. all of them are incredible. Like I could watch them over and over again, and just enjoy the soundtrack. And I, yeah, I think he's he's amazing. What's his him. best film? Oh yeah 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 yeah. Oh, what's your what's your favorite? <sighs> That's hard because uh, for the longest time, Kill. Like I know, Kill Bill was one of my favorite just because I really enjoyed all the different kind of styles he put in one film. You know, he uses different cameras, different styles. He put animation in it, and I thought it was so clever. Uh, but um, now, after rewatching them recently, quite a few of them, I'll have to say it's between Jackie Brown and Pop Fiction. Interesting. Jackie Brown because I I just. I love Jackie Brown. My favorite is Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Mm. And it's amazing because you movie. watched it and you said it was rubbish. And I watched yeah, it. Yeah, I hated it. And I said, <laughs> George, you are crazy. How how did you not like Once Upon a Time in Hollywood? And I thought I would have to end a friendship. <laughs> and then um, and then you watched it again. <laughs> and you liked it. And I was like, oh, thank God. Because, you know, I can't live without George. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. That's the most I've ever changed my view on a film, I think, between viewings. I went from being really disappointed to it. To, I I definitely think it's my favourite movie of his. It's such yeah. a great hangout movie. Like, the plot doesn't matter. It's just really yeah. entertaining scenes. Or, yeah. like, you can just put it on and just have... Oh, it's great. I it's really love it. I think it's I watched genius. it in a cinema in Italy where they do English films. And yeah, uh, it was kind of embarrassing because I went with my mum... And there's some scenes that are just funny, but they're not supposed to be funny. They're just funny because Quentin Tarantino made them funny. Mm, and I was mm, crying mm. of laughter. But in Italy, it's all like Quentin Tarantino's all highbrow. And everybody was really serious. And it was just crazy because there are some really funny moments in uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood because they're quite bizarre. Yeah. They're quite surreal. And so you laugh because you go, oh, well, there's no other reaction. But it was like this the cinema in, in Italy was... Simon. One bit in particular I remember being funny when it feels like it shouldn't be is when Brad Pitt throws the can at that woman's face yeah. at the end. <laughs> yes, that is And so it's so funny. violent, but it's just, it's just really, really yeah. funny. Oh, yeah. No, I think he's great. And I don't know. I love I love his films. And again, unique. Un- unique yeah. person. And yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, right. No, a, a, a brilliant choice. I love Quentin Tarantino. Okay. Yes. My number three is a British filmmaker 
mm-hmm. whose career I've been following for a few years. And well, we'll talk about it in a minute, but I, I, I love his earlier films. He is a, a director called Ben Wheatley. Okay. Ben Wheatley. Have you, do you know Ben Wheatley, Alex? Give me some titles. Uh, Kill List, Sightseers, A Field in England, High Rise, Free Fire. I think I might have seen A Field in England. That's in black and white and it's got um, Rhys Shearsmith from The League of Gentlemen, isn't yeah. it? I think... And it's very strange. No, I think you talked to me about it. That's why I know the title. Probably. No, I have not seen a field in England. You definitely. Oh no, no, I haven't seen that. <laughs> <laughs> no, you talk. I was really like, it. you'd remember if you'd seen that. <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. So he's a genius. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, the first film of his I saw was a movie called Kill List, and I don't want to spoil it because if you haven't seen it, the act of seeing it for the first time is just absolutely glorious mm. um it's it's it, it's incredible I'm, i remember watching that movie and it finished and i watched it with my and if you're listening you've seen kill list you'll know how bizarre this would be i watched it with my brother and my mum on holiday in a holiday cottage and we were not anticipating what went down in that film it was <laughs> it, it it was completely wild what i found out recently that i had no idea about is that he, he constructed the film so it will fold in on itself I heard someone being inter- I heard someone being interviewed who worked on the movie talking about how he has a version where the that he plays the the end of the movie if you start playing the end of the movie in reverse on top mm. of the movie at the start the scenes kind of match as they meet in the middle mm. um which is just a, a, in like a, a, that doesn't matter because nobody's ever going to be able to watch it. Like, like it's such a crazy thing to do just to do it because it thematically it works for the story, but to make it work if you actually did it and synced it up properly. It's, it's, oh, oh, yeah. Kill List is a great film. It's about <laughs> a guy, it's about a guy who is a sort of um, assassin for hire mm. and some jobs he goes on with his uh, partner. And to say any more than that would really spoil it, but it's it's a great movie. Sightseers is a really good like dark comedy. It's about a a a woman who meets up with her new boyfriend to go on a caravanning holiday, and they go they go caravanning together, and they're really odd and strange. And then they get mm. into an argument in a field with a dog walker, and the man, the boyfriend, just murders this dog walker. And then the okay. film becomes like them going on this killing spree in like rural England on mm. on on this in this caravan, and it's so straight. Like it's so mm. funny. She says, "Like she's like, oh my god, you just killed that that person." And he goes, "He's not a person. He's a Daily Mail reader." <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. And as soon as I think as soon as that scene happened, I was like, "Yep, yeah, I'm in. I love it." Mm. Um. Field in England is this absolutely bonkers movie set. It's in black and white, set during the Civil War, and it's about these three people that get high on mushrooms in a field and look for treasure. And it's just, amazing. <laughs> it's really, oh, it does really, look pretty really, crazy. It's like, really crazy. Yeah. Fantastic. High Rise is a Tom Hiddleston movie. It's an adaptation of a book, um, uh, basically about people that live in this. It's kind of set in the past, but people have people have moved into this futuristic mm. skyscraper that's meant to be like a whole community in one building, essentially. And it's sort of about how the community goes slowly insane. And I think it opens 
it, like the first scene takes place at the end and it opens with him like eating a dog and then it's like I'm going to tell you how I, how I came to eat this dog and then it's just this absolutely mad story of this community just breaking down and going mm. crazy again I watched it with my parents and I loved it and my parents hated it so much <laughs> um, and then he started so and then after that he made a film called Free Fire which was like Martin Scorsese produced it he made it in America Brie Larson's in it actually it's got a really amazing cast and um, it's sort of about the idea is it's it's a gunfight, it's a shootout scene that takes place that lasts for like an entire film, like the entire movie is mm. one long shootout. And even I got a little bit um, tired of the of the gunfights by the end mm. of that. Like Free Fire was sort of the first movie of his where I sort of wasn't really sure about it. And he's just he's just now put out like over the last week. Um, an adaptation of Daphne du Maurier's Rebecca on Netflix. I don't know if you've seen mm. the Netflix adverts for that. That's his newest film, and it's gotten terrible reviews. Mm. Um, and I haven't been able to bring myself to watch it yet because I love his earlier work so, so much, and I really want him to carry on being a great director. And then he was announced as directing the sequel to the Tomb Raider reboot, and then that seems to have fallen through, and then it just got announced that he's directing the sequel to The Meg, the Jason Statham shark film. So I don't quite know what's happening with Ben Wheatley, but on the strength of how much I adore his earlier films, mm. he's on he's takes this place on my list. But I really, really hope he finds his footing again. I'm sure he will. I'm sure, and, I'm, and maybe he'll make the Meg too, and it will be incredible, and you'll be able to watch it in reverse, and it'll match up with the start. But some part of me suspects that's not going to be the case. Mm. But um, yeah. but yeah, I love I love Ben Wheatley. He's so full of creativity and energy and is so interesting and different i mean a field in england i've not there's never never seen a film like that before um but yeah i'm just slightly worried that he's getting kind of sucked into the studio system a little bit mm. and is losing losing what makes him unique but hopefully yeah. not hopefully not so yeah you've not seen any of his movies so uh, there's not much conversation to have but awesome. there we go very nice very yeah. nice very nice what's your number two my number two, I think I spoke about this director constantly since the beginning of the podcast, or at least I spoke about him many times. And yeah. uh, that the my next two directors are that. Uh, so my next director is from uh, Japan. And can you guess who it is? I can guess who it is. Do you want me yes? to guess who it is? Yeah. It's Hayao Miyazaki. Oh, no. Oh no! Oh, it's Koreeda. Is it Koreeda? Yeah. Oh, Koreeda. Oh. oh, okay. Ah, uh, is it because I texted yeah, you before? It is because of that. Yeah, yeah. So I texted you before. I texted George before asking if uh, animation directors I could put in animation directors, and then I it opened a big can of worms. So I. <laughs> I, I stopped it after I texted you. I was like, ooh. And then I just decided that, you know, better close that box and maybe talk about another time uh, when we talk Fair about enough. um direct. So maybe we should do an episode of that one day uh, because M- maybe. I just, I've, the list is too long. But yeah, Hirokazu Koreeda, who's a Japanese director. I spoke about him before when I talked about um, uh, Our Little Sister. um shoplifters and the truth but he has done a lot of films um mm. uh, so one of the biggest one that's known in europe is probably shoplifters 
Shoplifters won the Palm Door at Cannes. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so I think that's the most, um, uh, the most famous one. Uh, but I love this film director. I think he um, creates some films that are just incredible. Um, the mm. attention to detail, to the scenery, and to everyday life, and um, I think if anybody else did a film like this and it wasn't him, I think it would be a quite boring film. Um, yeah. I think he manages to create these beautiful films that where everything is important. Every scene is made to be important. So um, uh, shots of nature, shots of like everyday life, shots in a different uh, specific way um mm. really uh contrast between darkness and light so when when for example they might be on a beach the it's so bright but so idyllic and so beautiful mm. and darkness mm. is so warm and important and cozy like i i what he does with his films is absolutely incredible and um it's just I, he's just amazing he's just amazing and i think whatever he uh he, the, the the hype like i said i think yeah it's real because he's so good and he just can take anything that w would be people shoplifting and create an incredible film that anybody can relate to it from any part of the world you know mm. mm -hmm. and so yeah i i love his films and um, I love that he's shifted and he's come to uh, Europe and he managed to create an incredible film in Europe called The Truth, which it's, you know, really hard to... Because you can understand if he went to the the UK or an English-speaking country to do it, but you went to France, which is a completely different reality. Mm more different than America and England because if what was as we know in in uh, as being in Japan like a lot of like influence are from America and England like if you get Europe you get a lot of that France is yeah. a different step and yeah. to be able to do that in France I think it 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 was amazing and then one of his newest film which is called The Third Murder um, he left the family and went into a different realm, which I haven't really seen with him before. So I thought that is is like constantly trying to do different things, but by keeping the same incredible style. So mm. that's why he's my number two. Good choice. I've def I've seen one of his movies, Our Little Sister, and I definitely yeah. agree with the idea that. Somebody else making that story, it could be incredibly boring. Yeah, because there's not loads that happens or goes on. But you're yeah. right; he makes it he makes it very very compelling and not boring mm. at all for a moment. It's amazing. I, I think that mm. film's incredible. So yeah, no, that's a good pick. Thank Corey you, Edda. Well, you're welcome. What's your number two? My number two is a director who. Um, I've spoken about a little bit before on the podcast, particularly in the top five film music episode. And it is the American director, John Carpenter. Yes, mate. 
I absolutely adore his films. I think he's the most entertaining director of all time. In terms of have just sitting down and just enjoying a film and having a brilliant time, I don't think you can get much better than John Carpenter, in my opinion. He's made mm. some of the most perfect films of all time. Have you seen any of his films, Alex? Um, Do you want to know. run through some? Yes, please. He's done Halloween, The Fog. Ah, oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Christ- Christine. Big Trouble in Little China, The Thing, Prince of Darkness, and In the Mouth of Madness. He's done a few more, but they're the kind of main ones that I like. What do you think? The answer is... No. No, because they're scary. George, they're just you talking scary. to me about somebody like in a, on a camera in the darkness freaks me <laughs> out. And I... um, They're not all scary. He's made, he's made some non-scary films, most uh, particularly... Uh, I haven't actually seen them, but he made Assault on Precinct 13, was his first film as an action film, and Escape from New York and Escape from L.A. Uh, and I haven't actually seen those either, because I have mainly watched his horror films. But uh, Big Trouble in Little China isn't a horror movie. That's just a, an incredible Kurt Russell comedy, mm. <laughs> something. <laughs> okay. Big Trouble in Little China is amazing. Um, but yeah, I George. mean... George. <laughs> yes. George. Yeah. Next Halloween, when the sun sets and someone is alone, he kills. So, so yeah, um, we actually, we just paused for a pee break briefly and I checked my phone and they've just put out a, a teaser trailer for the next Halloween movie. That's how Has relevant it? John Garpenter is. Yeah, literally, I checked my phone and the first thing, the first notification was like, Halloween kills, teaser trailer. I was like, yes, please. Amazing. Yep. Yeah. Um, Would it be coming out at the cinemas or streaming uh, services? Alex, Alex, it should have, I should have <laughs> already seen this movie. This movie was meant to come out in October and yeah. it got delayed an entire year to next October. Mm. And I, I could... It, oh, never mind. No, I know. It's upsetting. This year it is, is upsetting. It is. For loads of reasons. And films are... the, the Well, I mean, the film industry is, like any industry, it's struggling and jobs are at risk. And that's re- the real, you know, sadness. Yeah. Anywho. Anywho. John Carpenter, he makes great films. He does make some terrifying movies. Halloween... But see, a lot of a lot a lot of people who've watched Halloween now for the first time mm. say to me, I, "I'm making it sound like I'm some kind of scholar that people come up to." But, but like when my friends or when people tell me they've watched Halloween for the first time recently, they say mm. they don't think it's scary because it's so, you know, it was made in 1979. Mm. It just doesn't have the sensibilities of a horror film from today. But I think it's still to me, it's still one of the most terrifying movies of all time. It's just a perfect mm. horror film. Then something like the fog. I talked about the fog ages, you know, in an earlier episode. But that's like mm. that's a ghost story. But it's it's like a it lit like it literally opens with a man sitting around a campfire telling a ghost story to children. Like it's not a horror film. It's a, it's it's like a fun, scary time. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. it's a spooky film, but it's not a horror film in my opinion. Like he mm. just he just makes entertaining films. Um, the thing is a 
the thing is the thing is scary. It's a body horror movie, and it's it's got some real amazing effects work in it. Um, I I think what I love the most about John Carpenter is that he does for almost all of his movies he he composes the soundtracks and they are always just pure eighties synthesizer brilliance. Um, a lot of the time, and I just adore mm. it. I remember I saw it in the Mouth of Madness, which is one of his lesser films. A lot of people think, but it stars Sam Neill, so I adore it. <laughs> I saw it for the first time at a film festival in Japan that uh, is the same film festival I dragged everyone to see The Mist at, if you remember that. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I went to see I went to see this on my own, and it opened, and this, the the opening credits came up, and this song started playing, and I was like, is this, a, is this a Metallica song I've never heard? Like, these shredding guitars, and it was amazing. And I looked it up after the film. That's just his, that's just the song he wrote to be the theme of his film, and it sounds, inc- it sounds like a Metallica song. It's so good. <laughs> Um, he just fills me. He just makes me giddy, John Carpenter. I, I just, mm. I think his movies are—they're not trying to be high art. You could call them B movies, but I just think they're entertaining. I just think they're mm. gloriously entertaining, and I, I completely adore them. And the man now, instead of making films, seems to spend all of his time playing video games. So he's after my own heart <laughs> as well. So yeah, Aww. big nice. fan of John Carpenter. Lot of love for him. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, so yeah, I'll, I think I will watch something one day. Well, I think I think I've just listed four directors that I love, and of those four directors, you've seen one film, <laughs> which isn't a isn't a criticism of you. It's just funny that. Um, well, I'm basic, and you're not. <laughs> no, 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 not that. Just it's just it's just for I didn't think I was making choices that you wouldn't necessarily have, but yeah, I don't know. It's just interesting. Yeah. I hope our number one is the same. It's but but it won't be, will it? It's definitely not. And I thought I thought we were gonna have the same at least one that was the same, but now I don't think we've we've done that. <laughs> Which is really upsetting. I'm sorry. I most yeah. of the ones you've listed are on my in fact, I think all of the ones you've listed are on my honourable mentions. Like they they would yeah. be in my top ten probably. Yeah. Other than Corriera, because I haven't seen many of his films, but like Tarantino, Watiti, yeah. and um, yeah. Coen Brothers would would be in my top ten. But I thought my number one was definitely our common com- common love, but it's not. And I love him. He's a, he would be he'd be like number six, because I know exactly who it is. <laughs> who, I know who your number one is, and I oh, do why is it love not him. Your net no number, that's crazy. Yeah, like, I bought your book about him. Obviously. I know. I s- yeah, I know. Like, I bought, I do, like we, Alex, we, there were hundreds of film directors in the world, and I, I know, had to I pick know. five. I know, me too. Like, it's been, that's why I took, I took animation off because I was <laughs> just like, Alex, you can barely make a decision with these guys. <laughs> gonna... But yeah. So, my number one, uh, George knows, and probably whoever's listening, probably can guess because i talk to him about him all the time uh by my number one is a director called wes anderson wes anderson yeah uh i love his work i feel like the other people that i've talked about he's pretty unique in what he portrays and the places that he wants to go Yes. And um, one of my favorite things, if we think about the life aquatic, let's uh, think about the life aquatic. The way that he showed the ship, yeah, I love that kind of 
uh, cutting a house and seeing the rooms and imagining being in there. And it's just kind of like a, a, a dollhouse, like the kind of dollhouse thing. And those kind of beautiful shots are amazing, aren't they? Yeah. And uh, yes. the symmetry in his work, the fact that you can have two people having a conversation in the front of the scene, but then there's something important happening at the back of the scene that you have to keep attention, like you have to pay attention to, or there is always funny or something like there's always something happening that makes sense and has a meaning. Um, the colors of it, the dialogue, uh, the the positioning of characters, it just creates a world that for me is incredible and beautiful and perfect. Mm. You know what no, I mean? I, think, I know completely what you mean. I think it feels almost to me like instead of, I don't know if he went to film school, but like if he went to film school, instead of going to learn how to make films, it's like he went to learn what he doesn't want to do. Yeah. Like yeah, nothing, he, he, it's like he breaks every rule about how you're meant to mm. set up a scene and how you're meant to shoot actors. He does it all like straight on all the time with these yeah. like 90 degree angles. And it, yeah. it, like some directors, like Quentin, Quentin Tarantino, you could show somebody maybe five minutes of a film that, and he, you would know it was a Quentin Tarantino film. Yeah. Wes Anderson, you can, you can show, show somebody just a single frame of one of his yeah. films and you can tell yeah. it's a Wes Anderson film. Just about, yeah. you, you know, any frame sometimes. In some yeah. of these films, like the Grand Budapest Hotel, I I can't imagine there's more than about a minute in that film that doesn't look like a Wes Anderson shot. Mm. Yeah, uh, it's yeah, he's a genius. Yeah, yeah he is a genius, and it mm. just creates like a cinematic experience that is absolutely incredible, and that's why I love him. What's your number one, G? I can't believe, I can't believe we don't have Wes at least Wes together. Sorry. I think you could probably guess what my number one's going to be. My number one was immediate. First thing I wrote down. Oh, is it is it the guy from from the horror <laughs> films? Uh, Midsummer and um Oh, Ariaster? Yeah. No, but I mean he he just needs to, he's only made two films. It's too early to pop him on my list. Oh, but is it he, David Lynch? Yes, please. David Lynch is my favourite film and TV director. I okay. adore David Lynch. You know that I like things that are slightly odd and different and surreal, and he is the master of that. Um, yeah. A Razor Head, Mulholland Drive, Wild at Heart, Twin Peaks Firewalk With Me, Lost Highway, The Elephant Man, uh, The Straight Story. He's, I just I love everything I've ever seen of his. I have, I have adored it completely. Um, and he can do like a lot of his stuff is very odd and, and obtuse and abstract. But mm. if you watch a film like The Elephant Man, mm. have you ever seen The Elephant Man? No. The Elephant Man is, other than being in black and white, mm. you wouldn't necessarily know that it's a David Lynch movie. It kind of shows that he has absolute mastery of cinema. Like he can make a mm. straightforward film. Um. Mm. That will tear you up. The Elephant Man is one of the saddest, brutally upsetting movies I've ever seen. It's really, it's an, it's a masterpiece. Um, mm. But he, you know, he instead, a bit like Tarantino, instead of kind of doing all of those films, he follows his own muse, and it leads him mm. to some 
truly strange places. One of those places is Twin Peaks, and I've talked before about how much I love Twin Peaks, um, but equally Blue Velvet. And I think what I love so much about his best work is that he goes to very ordinary locations and places like mm. Twin Peaks and a Pacific Northwest town or in Blue Velvet, you know, American suburbia. And he scratches at the surface and reveals the sort of dark darkness that's always there, hidden just out of view. And he manages to just sort of let you see a glimpse of it. And I just love it. I love it. I love him. He's, I just adore him. Mm. He's got He's got great hair. <laughs> He, okay. he has a YouTube channel called David Lynch Theatre where throughout most of lockdown and still to this day, every single day he posts a video between about a minute and a half and three minutes long where mm. he just does a weather report for that day and what the weather is like in Los Angeles. <laughs> <laughs> and like just and it'll always be something like, Hello friends, today I'm thinking about um Billy Joel's song, We Didn't Start the Fire, and how we could all use a bit of that fire in our lives now. Looking outside, it's sunny, and it's about 20 degrees, and later on today it'll be sunny all along the way. Goodbye! And then he does a little <laughs> salute. And he also, every, every single day, he does a video called Today's Number Is, where he holds a jar... Yeah. Where the bottom of it is covered in like black paint, so you can only see the top half of the jar, and the bottom half has mm. got ten ping pong balls. And he the script is exactly the same. He'll be like, Here's the jar, open the jar, swirl the balls, and each ball's got a number on it from one to ten. He's like, pick out a ball, and then he'll look at it and go, Today's number is ten. And then that's the video. And he does that every single day. <laughs> and I don't know why he's doing it, but I watch it. Not every day, but quite often. I'll watch his number of the day and his weather report. Amazing. And I just find him I just find him endlessly endearing and entertaining and wonderful and I love him. I love him. He's got this incredible as oh my word. On his YouTube channel as well. He's got a series called What's David Working On Today? Where he does a little like five minute he'll do like a five minute video showing something that he's working on in his studio. Because he is like an as well as a filmmaker, he's just an artist. Like I, I went to one of his um uh, art galleries or like uh, the home the kind of one of the galleries in Manchester put on an, a David Lynch um, season where they showed off a load of his artwork and it was amazing mm. um, so he has this he obviously has a studio at home where he works on stuff and he'll put videos up showing what he's working on and a few of these videos were him <laughs> making this jar and paint, putting the numbers on the balls and being like mm. I'll show you soon what this is for but one of the videos is him trying to fix some of his pants. He's got these pants that he obviously does his art in and they're torn on the knees. And he gets like kitchen paper, puts it under the under the trouser leg and then glues it in place and then tries to paint it the same colour as the trouser so it's like patching the hole in his trouser. And he mixes this paint and then starts painting it and it couldn't be further from the colour of his trousers. And he just... So odd. Oh, I just ah, oh. I love him. I love David Lynch. He's great. Good to know. Have you seen anything of his other than Twin Peaks? Um, June without knowing, and that's it, uh, really. Yeah. And Fire Walk with Me, but. But that was a that was a weird. Yeah. Setup. Incorrect setup. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. 
cool. Cool. That was our top five. So top five, do you want to run down your five? Yeah, my number five, Taika Waititi. Uh, my number four, uh, the Cohen Brothers. My number three, Quentin Tarantino. My number two, Hirokazu Koreeda. And my number one, Wes Anderson. Very nice. My top five mm. was number five, Denis Villeneuve. Number four, Bong Joon-ho. Number three, Ben Wheatley. Number two, John Carpenter. And number one, David Lynch. Yeah. Yeah. Honourable oh. mentions? Oh, should I just go, like, very quick? Sure. So, um, honourable mentions. Spike Lee, Guy Ritchie, Ari Aster. The two things I've seen. The one thing I've seen was amazing. <laughs> uh, no, it's beautiful. Like, I wish I could watch the other one. Uh, Sofia Coppola, uh, Greta Gerwig, uh, Baz Luhrmann, Hayao Miyazaki, Guillermo del Toro, Stanley Kubrick, Luc Besson, Ava DuVernay, Steven Sodenberg, J.J. Abrahams, uh, Shane Meadows, and uh, Park Chan-wook. Nice. Maybe more, but I, I don't... I just... I went in You've overdrive. You've got... That's a longer list than I've got, but I, I echo pretty much everyone on there that you said. Mm. Um, and I would I would go with my honourable mentions are Wes Anderson. There you go. First yeah. on my list of honourable mentions. Um, Ari Aster, Robert Eggers, who did The Witch and The Lighthouse, Taika Waititi, Bong Joon-ho, David Fincher, Tarantino, The Coen Brothers, Ridley Scott, James Wan, who made The Conjuring movies and Saw and Insidious. Mm. Great guy. Edgar Wright, Stanley Kubrick, Steven Spielberg, Guillermo del Toro, and Park Chan-wook. Love all of them. Awesome. Nice, awesome. Okay, homework time. What am I watching? So, well, you probably have to watch a Hirokazu Koreeda film. Okay. Um, which one, though? I don't know. It's up to you. Shoplifters? Um, yeah, you can watch Shoplifters. And if you have time, I would also watch The Truth just to see how he works in France. In in France, you know, if he's yeah. going to make more movies abroad, or is he going back to Japan, or what's his? No, I think I think he might he might carry on making movies abroad. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, yeah. cool. Think, right, I'll watch. Know, um, I'll watch The Shoplifters or The Truth or both. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, uh, what should you watch? Nothing scary, please. Sicario. Sicario. Sicario by Denis Villeneuve. Okay, okay, awesome. Well, thank you everyone for joining us again on Culture Bucket. It's been a good time. Look forward to seeing you again. Please join us next week where we'll be talking about books. Top five books. Top five books or top five novels. We're doing fictional novels first. Yeah. Yeah, top five yeah. novels. Um. Oh, what a fun time that'll be. Yeah. 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 I love a good, good, love a good book. So, yeah, join us then. Thank you so much. Uh, please get in touch if you've got yes, anything for us. Oh, and our new feature from Culture Catch-Up, if you had to recommend one thing for people to go to and have a, have a check out, what would it be? From this week? Yes. Uh, I definitely would say watch Thor Ragnarok. Ragnarok. Okay. That was homework, and, but okay. 
but yeah, but I definitely think you should watch. They should watch it. And agreed. Borat. I think I think Borat is definitely something that should be watched. Yeah, agreed. Cool, cool, cool. Yeah. And yeah. for me, I'd say check out that Bring Me the Horizon EP slash album, Post Human Survival Horror. Big recommend cool. to that. Okay, fantastic. So yeah, get in touch with you on social media. Let us know if you're listening and what you think and give us some top fives of your own for us to read out and we might start doing that. And um, all the links for all of that are in our show notes and are, as are links to all of the stuff we talk about in Culture Catch-Up. So have a look and thank you and we'll see you next time. Okay? Thank you. Thank you. Love you. Bye. Bye.